This is the Bushwick Variety Show. And I'm Alec the Third. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This episode features N.J. Aguna. Last week, my wife and I went up to the Hudson Valley to uh, celebrate Valentine's Day um, and just celebrate getting through this this past year, um, the moves and just all the changes and growth we've experienced. Um, had a really good time. Got to stop into Mega Brain Comics in Rhinebeck. Um, we also stopped in to the town of Woodstock, and I learned that Woodstock was not in Woodstock. Uh, so Woodstock was um, the hippie kind of town that you would hope it would be that looked like the people that went to Woodstock would have built it. But actually, Woodstock, the music festival, was not in Woodstock, New York. Um, it's like an hour and a half away uh, in Swan Lake on a farm. Uh, just like you know, but I just thought that Woodstock was in Woodstock. It's not. So, still go check out Woodstock, but if you want to see the town of Woodstock or the festival, those are two different things, which I learned. But the more you know, um, and like I said, the Hudson Valley's dope. So if you're in Woodstock, also shoot over to Mega Brain Comics. So, today we have NJ Aguna. And me and NJ were in a music, comedy, improv class uh, many moons ago, somewhere around 2014, 2015. NJ is a director, an actor, a writer, a teaching artist with Tectonic and a number of other organizations and colleges. And she was a director on the annual ABC Discovers Talent Showcase, which went virtual this year, of course, because everything did. NJ is what we would call prolific. From the time I first met her in the music, comedy, acting class, uh, she also went and got her MFA from Columbia for directing. So this is NJ Aguna. Let's have a conversation. All right, there we go, there we go. Hi. Good to see you. Well, um, I always have the fear. My computer's on its last legs, and so it's super slow to like start up. And it's not that I'm like shutting it down. It's like during the day I can use it. I can walk away for like a few minutes, and then I don't know the exact amount of hours, um, but it'll kind of go into sleep mode, and takes forever to wake up. It's time to get a new computer. Um, I just haven't done it yet. Um, kind of hoping some commission will come in or something. And then I'll just be like, <laughs> all right, now's the time. But yeah, it's to the point where I'm going to have to just eat it one way or another soon, you know? Yep. Yep. So how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just kind of working on a couple projects. I think I said yes to too many things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are you working on that you uh, can talk about, you know? Yeah, I'm working on a project with Tectonic about uh, the AIDS uh, pandemic panorama. <laughs> I think um, you also combined epidemic 
Um, Cause it's like, that's what I always heard before. And then during this pandemic, that's like, mm. you know, I haven't heard anybody say epidemic, which I guess <laughs> a pandemic is just a giant epidemic or something. Yeah. At like a mass number. Yeah. So that's why it's a pandemic and not an epidemic because it didn't just affect the Americas, you know, mm-hmm. AIDS went everywhere. Yeah. Um, but so I'm working on that. And then I'm working on a project with uh, Club Thumb the, about the women's project uh, is what it's called. It's the women's project. It's about Alice Paul and uh, the insurrection that happened um, in the women's committee uh, in the 50s. <laughs> So there's that. And uh, I'm working with Jagfest on a radio play. Yeah. And Scranton Shakes. You said Jagfest or Jagfest? Jagfest. J-A-G. Is that um, Jarvis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, we worked in a restaurant in New York for a brief moment. And then I also know him. Um, we go back to the acting community in Seattle. Oh, cool. Like back in the day. Yeah. Um, so it's nice. been cool seeing, seeing all of that grow. Cause I remember that restaurant, he was leaving to start that company. Ah. Um, and you know, like you always hope things are going to go somewhere, but you never know. And you always know things will, you just never know what will. Right. You know, like certain projects you're like, this is a sure thing. This project is dope. And then it's like, I don't know what happened to that project. I know it was dope, but, and then something else can be like, yeah, this is a little, you know, a little something, something. And then, you know, that becomes, I may destroy you, mm-hmm. which recently um, there were like a couple of things I saw you posting about recently. I was like, oh yeah, we can get into to a couple of things here. Um, but that was one for sure that when I saw it, I was like, this has to be, in my opinion, sweeping some things, um, but yeah. at least acknowledged, you know, so. That was, uh, that. it's just one of those things where you look at it and you're like, okay, this is great, not just for me, but like for survivors, like the show had its own way of looking at what consent is, what rape is, what sexual assault is, you know what I mean? And how it affects both sides and everyone day to day. And then, you know, Emily in Paris gets the nomination. And I was like, I mean, it was delightful, but I don't think it's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a voter, so. Yeah. Yeah, nor am I. And also at the same time, I'm like, it's hard because on the one hand, I'm also not trying to put too much stock in those things because they're awards. Like it doesn't mean just like projects and like where they ultimately end up um, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, something that's super successful it doesn't necessarily mean that it has more artistic merit than something else. Um, You know what I mean? So the things we measure, it's like sometimes there's the conversation on, oh, who's the best MC? Like, that's the one I see a lot. Mm. And then some people were like, well, this person sold this much. And it's like the amount of sales they had 
also pertains to how much advertising money they had. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that th- that it's better, you know, lyrically right. or however you want to measure it. If you're measure, you can measure it that way, though. Exactly. But, but for me, that's not always how I measure it. Um, right. But of course, on the flip side, awards bring more opportunities, bring more funding. So there's also a reason why, <laughs> like, we want to see people get awarded when deserved. Yeah, but the, it's also one of those things that it happens in the industry where it's campaigns and shows and networks campaigning. For, so it's just like, who didn't put up the name or was the name put up and just completely ignored or, you know what I mean? It's one of those, like, the more you look at it, the more sinister it becomes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call out really quick that I have somebody's going to be picking up laundry at some point. Um, it was supposed to be before <laughs> this, but if I have to jump up all of a sudden, sure. um, just, you know, we're at, yep. we're at home, <laughs> we're at home working, you know, <laughs> that's, it's what life is at this moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you were talking about like the sinister kind of the politics of all of it, um, did you see, her speech, um, I can't remember off the top of my head where it was. I've gone back and watched it like a number of times. And it's about, it's about how, like the ownership that writers and creators of projects have or don't have, and kind of about how the chewing gum deal went. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how she had to go somewhere else eventually. Hold on real quick, because I think it might be here, sorry. Oh, okay, cool. Was it here? No, false alarm. I <laughs> um, think I heard like a buzzer, um, but I can hear more things through the microphone and through the headphones. You know, so I heard a phantom doorbell. <laughs> Probably heard your neighbor's doorbell. I yeah. hear that a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so how have you been? We're almost, we're almost to a year into this. Um, I've seen some things happening, uh, with you. Uh, so yeah, just want to talk about a little bit about how has the year been for you? Um, and how, how you've been doing in general? Um, it's been a roller coaster of a year, you know, it was, uh, tough in the beginning because I had lost uh right before the whole the whole thing started I was supposed to go to China supposed to go to Shanghai (laughs) and in February that like it was like no no you can't come to Shanghai and I was like okay so I have to get another job great and what were you going to be doing there uh I was going to be teaching moment work with Tectonic so we were going to go over Uh, And what's Tectonic? Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. So Tectonic is a theater company, um, Tectonic Theater Project. They're the ones behind the Laramie Project and 33 Variations. Um, Moises Kaufman is our artistic director. So we devise based off of interview-based, it's interview-based theater, but devised theater. So. Got you. Do you know um, Eric Jensen and Jessica Blank at all? Yes. They did the Exonerated, um, and most recently, they, they did the Pandemic play at um, Public. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, but it was 
right <laughs> after all of this. Um, yeah, but but so devised, interview based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it has its own method, kind of like you know, viewpoints has their own method. So we have a method for devising, and we have a book <laughs> out. The company has a book um, on how to do that, but we also go and do workshops on how to make moment work, which oh, is- Oh, what's the, what's the name of the book, by the way? Moment work. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, but we, we teach workshops on moment work and um, we also take it to schools to also teach moment work so that they have a new method of devising, especially um, students at younger ages, they can like explore uh, in new ways where it isn't as conventional. So, mm-hmm. or hierarchical. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then kind of what happened for you after that? Like, so you're going to go to China, you're going to do a workshop with Tectonic with like, so who was the workshop going to be with? Like Chinese students over there? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so after that, uh, I got a, I became the adjunct, the, the adjunct uh, directing professor at LaGuardia Community College. So that was my next thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's always strange. Like I teach a lot <laughs> alongside of doing production and freelancing and uh, occasional voiceovers. And I <laughs> don't know how I keep falling into teaching has not been a goal. It has not been a thing. It's just like, oh yeah, you could, you could probably teach. Like the first uh, professorial job I got uh, was because I was supposed to direct a show at a school and uh, I couldn't do it because I was directing the national tour of Freedom Train. And they were like, well, I think you can teach a class. And I was like, okay, you, you don't know me, but all right, sure, I'll teach young impressionable students, uh, acting and directing, that's fine. I have a degree, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, started teaching at LaGuardia and then everything got shut down. And I was like, I mean, it was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Like I kind of had that creeping feeling that it was gonna happen. So I taught like one day in person and then everything went online. Um, so I did that for a bit. Uh, and then got back into like trying to revive my voiceover career because it's just kind of been stalemated. So I worked a little bit on that as, you know, when I was in teaching class, uh, but went really stir crazy at home <laughs> for a long time, realized how uh, how much my neighbors could actually hear because then I could start hearing things that my neighbors were doing and things like that. So then, you know, exercising went out the window. You can't exercise if you're jumping on people's heads because we're all on top of each other. Um, Then after that, uh, we started devising um, via Zoom, this show with uh, Tectonic. And then I also got to direct um, for ABC Discovers talent. Right, I, I saw, I remember that's the thing I saw, yeah. Like, yeah, and that was its own uh, 
its own treat because it usually happens in a theater and then bringing it to Zoom and having discussions with like LA execs and like New York execs and we're all coming up with these plans and we're like, you know what? It, we just have to stop treating it like it was a theater show and treat it like what everyone is gonna see, like, like TV. So what are mm -hmm. the cameras that we can ship to actors and the lighting situation and things like that? I don't know if you've seen Connecting. Um, Mm. So it was an NBC show and had like only eight episodes, but it was like one of the first things that people would send cameras to performers and like microphone situations and uh, lighting equipment and like have them set it up. So like you're directing via Zoom from afar and you're like, I can you just change this shot? Like if you just move your camera a little to the left. Mm -hmm. no. But also taking into consideration the fact that that has not been a, a thing for performers for a long, forever. You know, that's never been a thing that they had to do, like set up shots and looks um, and figuring that out and like coming up with creative ideas where it doesn't look like we're all just on Zoom. Right. Doing a show because we have better camera quality. So like just starting to like work with writers and coming up with new ideas where we're like, okay, uh, what if it is like a FaceTime, you know, and then we can travel outside with them. So I guess they're going to need a GoPro. <laughs> that is the camera situation. How does the GoPro link up to the phone so that we can see shots? Or do we have to like trust that we're getting the shots <laughs> and check them later? Um, so that happened. And I uh, did a hybrid production of Polaroid stories at LaGuardia, not at LaGuardia, oh my goodness, at uh, LIU Post, Long Island University Post. Mm -hmm. And so have you been through all those projects teaching at LaGuardia remotely the whole time or how's that, yeah? Uh, LaGuardia, I only teach in the spring. Okay. So everything else just happened in the fall, you know? Mm -hmm. And they just kind of went one after the other. I also did um, a gala uh, with Bonnie Milligan for the Drama League. So like they had to re-envision how they do galas. You know, like what 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 do we bring donors in, and how do we how do we engage them because everyone is so separate. So Bonnie Milligan and I came up with a a kind of Zoom date, like a Zoom first date for the donors and you know so at the beginning you get a calligraphy session or like a wine tasting and then you go on this date with Bonnie but you don't know it's a date until we reveal it at the end and that was something that was a fun quick project to do mm -hmm. nice um and how are you feeling kind of now like kind of what's your outlook what do you want going forward because it's been a trip I think for everybody like it's like no matter well I've been I I'm grateful that like a couple years ago I started actually keeping a planner mm -hmm. and actually writing down goals and actually then have like stuff to like kind of look back and track and it's only recently that I'm starting to do the tracking thing but Last year, I actually did set some goals that actually, I, I thought I was going to come back to it and be like, well, last year was not what I expected, but actually some of them 
lined up and some of them like surpassed um, in ways that I couldn't have anticipated um, because the distance has brought some opportunities and people closer together. Um, and then, yeah, like now going forward, I feel like I'm a little bit more clear about what I want to do and what direction while also knowing I have no control over like when we get back to a new kind of normal and what exactly that new kind of normal is going to look like. So I'm kind of curious about like what you want and like what you kind of, what you're planning with that asterisk, you know? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's funny because like, you know, from the stir craziness, a lot of clarity came for most people. I don't think it happened for me. I (laughs) was like, I need to figure out something to do because I, I'm usually a go, go, go kind of person. Like I have gig after gig after gig, which is why I was like, freelance is the way for me. Um, And then as that started to happen, I was like, oh, I see. I'm now really understanding what a burnout is <laughs> like uh-huh. because we're behind screens all the time. So I think it's, mm-hmm. I think in the future, it's um, being able to say no and not, yeah. yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Having that kind of, of freedom to say, you know what, no, like this would have been great, but no, or like really honing in on um, Brian Kulik, uh, a professor of mine and and sort of mentor said, uh, you got to know what your soul gigs are and then career gigs. So what are the career moves that I'm trying to make with these jobs? Or if there is no career move, is this going to feed my soul so that I'm not like fully burning out? And like, how many soul gigs do I need to a career gig or career gigs to like sustain a soul gig? And yeah, I think uh, I'm looking more for some soul gigs because I've been doing a lot of career gigs lately. So mm-hmm. really concentrating um, on that. <laughs> I It occurred to me when we were getting on this morning, and I swear it just occurred to me this morning, uh, but I do want to talk to you about something offline when we get off. But um, like beyond that um let me ask you as somebody who you direct you write you act what kind of speaking to your soul and I know it depends on the project also like like if it's something I believe in if I'm a writer actor singer whatever like if I believe in it no matter what kind of part of me shows up like then it's a different story than if I don't um but kind of artistically what where's your soul drawing you more if there's a more you know um more towards like productions that um explore black joy you know what I mean like let's just get out of the trauma (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we don't have to keep going through that we there are parts of our our history our being that are triumphant you know what I mean and, and I don't mean that there can't be a little bit of like conflict or or strife it's just that it cannot just be 
in one area. Do you right. know? Like even beyond America or coming to or being dragged to America, what what is that history before? Mm-hmm. You know, and exploring those sort of mythological leaps and and bounds, um, but also that history. And then you know, there's a there's this um, fantasy novel called The Deep, which is great. Um, but it's uh, you know about black mermaids and oh wow, where they came from and it's who, great. It's awesome. Who wrote that one? Oh crap, I don't remember her name. <laughs> I'm looking for some new novels, so there we go. Yeah, um, David Diggs is the. Um, audiobook voiceover person nice (laughs) which is also something that uh i want to get back to more reading but i discovered during the pandemic that it was hard to read for my job Mm -hmm. (laughs) like all of a sudden i was like i just can't seem to want to read anything or see anything you know what i mean yeah it just got so hard to read Mm -hmm. (laughs) just words on a page um yeah and being on the screens can definitely be exhausting um i find like the one-on-one usually not as exhausting but like if it's like more than well it depends too like because there are groups that i'm in where they've done a really good job of kind of not just moderating, but kind of there's like parameters. And so even though there's a bunch of people involved, like there's a time to speak, there's a time not to like you raise your hand. Um, the, <laughs> the moderator is going to call on you. Like maybe you're not going to hear, hear from everybody. That's okay. We're going to keep the conversation going when it's like chaos. And when I feel like there's no control, mm. it's like, I think I had that anxiety in real life meetings too, but on the screen, it's just like, I, that's when sometimes maybe, I don't know, my internet goes out all of a sudden, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah, it's draining. And that could be like my family too. Like when it's like a bigger family call, it's just like, y'all, I got like five minutes of this (laughs) tops. Yeah. Yeah. I've like gone back to like, um, oh, Rivers Solomon. Okay. That's that's the author of The Deep. But I've also gotten back into like letter writing, just mm-hmm. writing people letters and pen palling my already friends. Like I was like, I'm going to write you a letter. Even though we could text, I'm going to write you. <laughs> Strangely, also for me, like I was pretty much, yeah, like text only, like no phone calls. And I've been having like phone calls with people again, like mm-hmm. after the pandemic. I think it's similar to like, like the not wanting to like read where it's like, you know, it's actually easier for me just to talk to you versus having to answer questions that I feel like you should have the context for, even though there's no reason you should. But if I just talk to you, I could explain it. I don't know, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like talking on the phone has become a thing again. Mm Mm-hmm. Less FaceTimes though, because I'm like, oh, I've already done it. I'm okay. I'm zoomed out. Like that's now my thing. <laughs> I'm like, are you zoomed out? You want to just make this phone call? Let's just talk on the phone. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. 
um, what are you doing like kind of to protect yourself? Like how, how have you learned to deal with like the stir crazy? Um, I've really done a lot of kindergarten things in this past year. You know, I'm back to watching Scooby-Doo. It's on HBO Max, all of the Scooby-Doo's. Uh, even the original from 1969. Um, I take naps, lots of naps. Um, just to like be able to close my eyes for a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, walks, taking a lot of walks and things like that. Um, but I also really... I really love podcasts and I'm just like, you know what, me and my podcast friends, we're just going to sit for a while in silence. And, you know, even though they're all like their murder podcast and comedic podcasts, like my brother, my brother and me, um, you know, my favorite murderer, uh, why won't you date me? <laughs> which is Nicole Byers podcast, which is amazing. I really love it. Um, but yeah, those are just like a few, but also like finding that uh, some podcasts are really great to help you get more restful sleep because I find in the pandemic, I'm more of an insomniac than I was before. Mm -hmm. And were you already one before as well or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's in the pandemic that I realized that I'm not a good sleeper. Mm -hmm. Like I thought I was really great at sleeping and like, I was like, I love sleep. And my mom was like, no, you don't you've never been a good sleeper. And I was like, oh my God, I thought this was new. Yeah. And I, when you're talking about napping, I realize I probably need to like schedule in some more naps. Mm -hmm. um, Cause sometimes <laughs> I deal with the guilt during the day of like, no, I should be doing more. But sometimes I'm just like, but I just want to lay the fuck down and get some, like, I don't know why I just, <laughs> like that pole is, is drawing me and I feel bad about it. Um, and I've, I have actually, cause I'm not bartending anymore. More, um, and I wasn't late night bartending before the pandemic. So my sleep schedule has been more of like a regular human, but uh -huh. like, I still, I still like wake up. I still don't know if I'm getting enough sleep. Um, just, I'm also like a long-term insomniac and like I think in the regular times I you know if I'm running from here to there auditions work whatever this that mm -hmm. if I came home and took a nap I didn't feel bad about it because it's like well I've already been here there and everywhere doing the stuff <laughs> and now at home it's like you're still doing stuff it's just there's a lot more sitting. And so then there's like this guilt that you should be doing more, but it's like, I don't know. Like, it's like, talked about this a lot too. Not having the commute, like I don't miss the commute. Right. But when you commute places, you have this like buffer where you can both process what you're about to do before. Mm -hmm. And then after right. like some things you can, kind of process after where it's like now if you're not careful you can schedule things without back, any processing back, back. time yeah 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 and that is that has been my month of January into February and I was like oh no I need to actually it it's the best thing I think about the pandemic is uh learning about 
how to create more boundaries yeah. for yourself and work as well, you know? So I'm giving it more buffers, like the travel time buffer. I'm like, it would have taken me 30 minutes to get to this place if I wasn't at home. So I'm just going to be like, I can't be there until like this time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and more so being more convicted in that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, that's the new, the new thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's making me think of some conversations I have to have <laughs> right now. Um, just, yeah, one of my artistic commitments, mm. team things. So it's like stuff I agreed, but but it's like, and I knew what I was signing on for, but I was talking with a friend also who's in it, and you're in, you know, theater companies. It's like, where it's like, okay, I did agree to this, but now it seems like, like, yeah, I'm feeling my boundaries, like I'm coming up against them. And and one of them also, frankly, is like about one of them, they posted out a mandatory, oh, hold on. Now we'll pause this. Now they're here. Um, Got some so- coffee while you went. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um yeah, so they sent out an email and it was like I'd been invited to like these anti-racist workshops that the company's oh. doing. Um oh. but now they just sent out something that was like this is a mandatory thing for everybody and I'm like I, so here's how I feel, (laughs) (laughs) is I feel like I have been doing mandatory anti-racist work my entire life, um, not just because of who I am, but also because my parents also raised me with that awareness from a young age. So when I first was introduced to to it as like a little kid, mm-hmm. I didn't really like it. But then, um, have you joined Clubhouse, by the way? I am on Clubhouse. I'm on it. <laughs> um, so there's some conversations I've liked and some that there've been some toxic shit too. Like there's things we got to work out, but it's, it's conversations. But like basically, while I didn't appreciate the way my dad put it when I was a kid, mm-hmm. it basically what he did was and this is like a bigger conversation that i think i've been having a lot lately is that so there's racism that's like a big thing right right but the whole reason we're not using that term bipoc racism still ties to the thing of racism but it's anti-black racism that's actually the crux of it because it's basically however you want to call it. And somebody in one of these groups and it was like in a group yesterday and it was like with multi-ethnic people Mm -hmm. and there was a guy from Pakistan and he was like saying he's, you know, married to a black woman, they're going to have a child. So he's like, how do I approach that conversation? You know, me, he's like saying me not being black and this other woman who's like mixed but considers herself black, definitely. She's like, well, how come you don't consider yourself black? 
And he's like, well, as far as I like understand it, I'm not. And he's like, and she's like, yeah, well, from what I understand, you are right next, like where your people come from are also right next to Africa. And in a way there's like a disc, like, so that was like a whole. But the whole thing, that's the whole thing. I'm a child of African immigrants. Mm -hmm. Black is mostly an American thing, Mm -hmm. which is why like, you know, we could talk about slavery that happened in other places and other times, but the it's a particular thing. It's a very particular type of slavery that happened in America where it's like, and it's constantly in that, you know, the, the, the good immigrant, that proximity to whiteness, you know what I mean? That mm. is always going to be that navigator, especially, you know, once you start thinking about how the banking system and what black lining versus red lining means and why is it black and red you know why is it native versus yeah versus black yeah. why is it free labor versus oh we're taking back this you know what i mean it's it's that kind of it's a very peculiar type of slavery that we had that really led to all of the domino affected out into this things, you know what I mean? And like then, even at the census. And well, and then it's crazy because then it like, yeah, definitely started here, but then it spread around the world. Like it's crazy. Like, and it spread back to Africa too, because what happened in South Africa was mm-hmm. they studied, like they studied Jim Crow and like, you know, just all the history of, of race here in the States. And they're like, let's design, let's design this uh, system. Like let's perfect yeah. this fucking system, make it even more brutal and harder to overcome. Um, but anyway, like the point I was getting at is like, as a black person, as a, like, you know, I'm, I am biracial, but like mm-hmm. the other thing, the thing that my dad told me when I was a kid, which I didn't understand. And, you know, everybody goes through their own journeys of race and identity. I don't care, you know, who you are, like how we, like identity, it's, ident- it's part of our identity. Right. But like, basically it was my dad, my mom. So my dad's black, my mom's white. My dad's dark skin, my mom's white. And I'm sitting in the middle, we're on the porch and my dad says, I'm black. My mom says, I'm white. And I go, I'm brown. And my dad says, no, you're black. And I'm like, no, you're black. She's white, I'm brown. And he's like, no, it's not the color of your skin. He's like, the world like is going to look at you this way. And you know, and I wasn't a white passing kid. Like you might right. think I'm some something else, but like most people are gonna see black. Yeah. And he was kind of explaining to a child the history of blackness in America and like to the point where now the reason I say black first is because the black experience is a vast experience just like right. every everything else like it's not one thing so like me my unique experience is still part of that larger context and conversation and it, I don't want it to, like, I don't want it. I don't want to have to deal with it all the time. Right. But it's <laughs> not like, I don't have the choice um, one way or another. Like it come, like it's something I deal with. So being told like that I have to be a part of a mandatory anti-racist work 
It's sort of like, I've never had the privilege not to be. And so there's part of me that's just pushing back, even though also on the flip side, I know it's all about conversation and also. But at the expense of black people and people of color, like anti-racist workshops are always like, so tell us about your experience. And it's like, I'm sorry, I just. I can't. Yeah. I don't feel like it. Uh, which has also become kind of the thing that I've said as well, because I've gone through anti-racist and and undoing racism training almost with the same person every time. <laughs> I I was in a I'm in another, I'm in several companies. So like I'm a core part of different companies, and they're like, so we're gonna do it with this person. And I'm like, are we all talking to the same person constantly? So like I've seen her in like three <laughs> workshops and she was like, don't worry, I got you. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah. And I mean, maybe they'll listen to this podcast before, but I'm probably going to write something and basically to the effect of like, I haven't been to them yet. Like I joined more like that level of the company. Like I was like a member as an artist, mm-hmm. did like a playwriting residency, but like I signed up to get more involved. So it's like, I understand this side of it, but like, yeah, the voice like, look, I'll be there, but this is how I feel about it. And you have to exactly. understand that. And like, I'll go into it with an open mind but I am going into it with some feelings also. And, and, and it is like, you know, I'm glad that I feel like there's been a lot of lip service to when we, they weren't calling it anti-racist work, but you know what I mean? Like before mm-hmm. diversity, inclusion, equity. Um, now I'm glad we're actually calling it what it is and what it needs to be. And like that distinction that, um, Mr. X, um, Ibrahim X, what's his name? Um, he wrote, well, he basically wrote, Kendi, um, man, I'm spacing on his name, but he wrote basically that you can't be, like, you can't be non-racist. Mm-hmm. You have to be anti-racist. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, basically, you can't be neutral on this. You can't be neutral or complacent because being non-racist is non-active yeah it's it's just passive you're very passive it's like you know like allies is a passive word as opposed to co-conspirator you know what i mean i am doing something alongside you i am actively anti-racist i am working every day on like my biases and things like that so like it's even in the language that we decide to use, like I'm an ally. So you're just there. Thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> for being here today. You know what I mean? But like, if you're like, I'm a co-conspirator, great. Yeah. And I know I'll see you at a march. I know I'll see you doing things actively, you know, giving, giving of your, your heart and coins to, <laughs> to the cause. Ibram X. Kendi. Yeah. That's his name. <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, it's yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, so we breathe. Um, so here's some clarity that I had, and this is like, I guess my pushback is 
that I am down to have those convert like I'm I definitely am down to have those conversations especially though amongst black people and BIPOC people and if like if white people want to be a part of that conversation Uh cool but like I'm like I'm not as interested in being as part of white-led conversations about that even though it's important it's just sort of I don't it's the, I'm tired. I'm tired. Like, <laughs> I think a lot of theater companies are also using um, the People's Project um, to do their anti-racism training, which means that you have more that it's like at least if you if we break it up into thirds, it's like one to two thirds of people of color in the room, so mm-hmm. that uh, it forces you to listen and less to talk. Like, that's also why I love Milta, even though I've been in like 18 different like workshops with her. She's just, uh, she's one of those people who like, even when you start to cry, she's like, "Uh uh-uh, nobody go over there to her. Uh -uh." (laughs) Uh-uh. You're feeling that? You're, you're under, you need to understand uh, why crying makes you the center and you need to check it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And she has this phrase of saying, I'm taking back my teat. You know, like Mamie's, she's like, I'm not over here to like coddle you. We're taking back our tits and we're not, (laughs) we're not doing this. Mm -hmm. We're not cradling you. We're not help. You have to reckon with what's happened and also where you are in this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. (laughs) <laughs> so if it is the people's theater you know know that you'll be in good hands there just mm. there'll be like one day of like oh <laughs> this is this is something this mm-hmm. is something else <laughs> you know yeah yeah um and i do think it does feel like that's like a silver lining of the pandemic um of like things happening, like horrific things and people being in a space of self-reflection. So it hit differently when they saw it. People couldn't, you couldn't, because of the unemployment and the news, like everyone is glued to their computers and their phones, you could not escape it. So Mm -hmm. you either had to like show up or like really disconnect, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that became its own active choice because it's like, okay, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. It's not like you got a job. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. So, so that brings, that's what I was, um, that's been like my big clarity during this time is like, because I kind of got deeper into the writing um, mm-hmm. and deeper into like the creative work, it's sort of like, yeah, like my thing is, not everybody knows like what they want like to do in life. Like some people are looking for their calling. If you know, like, and you keep getting pulled into the arts and if you have things that you like need to say, then for me, it's not that like, I won't go to a March. It's Mm -hmm. just, there's a part of me though. Like if I'm at a March and I don't know what we're, like, I mean, I know the general thing that we're marching about, right? but it's like, you know, I can be here or I can write 10 more pages of my next play. 
And not every play is going to be directly about this, but by working on my artistry, I'm going to be able to like hone my voice and write like important things. Like, and, and to me that then can like, that right. I believe can get out there in a different way. Like, I feel like it doesn't have to be marching. It's like finding your niche and like, how do you respond and how do you react to this thing? It doesn't have to be, you know, but being active in a different way. Do you know what I mean? How does yeah. this, how does this rally you in a, in a way to, to respond, to do, to, you know what I mean? Like I, I went to one March because I was like, I am also afraid of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I am. I have an immune compromised system. I, mm -hmm. It was like one of those things where I was like, there are some black people out here who was like, I might die if I go outside. I yeah. might, it might happen. And what does that do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And trying to find other ways to show up, to do the work, to, you know, even just like having more readings with um folks of color. I did a roundabout Zoom reading for my friend Gethsemane um, of Blanks. And that's like centered around Blackness and Black love and, and familial love as well as like friendship love. What does it mean to like really love friends? What is that attachment? Like, because it's also in this, you know, I think people are also looking at their relationships and yeah. how they move around and talk to people it's like you don't have to only have romantic relationships you know you should care for the like friendships and the familial friendships and like how do you give that space and that time and finding space you know mm -hmm. yeah like that so that's like been one of the darker corners and i've seen it popping up um and that's like on Clubhouse and, and one was about, it was like, can you be pro-Black and be in an interracial relationship? Yeah. I think that's always, I'm always like, oh, I'm always thinking about it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because um, I've mostly been in interracial relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm in one right now, so I have, but yeah. But it's, I think it's always, it's always, you know, and I look at, um, I look at uh, Childish Gambino and some people and I'm like, it's like you're radicalized even more. Because <laughs> mm. you're like, I gotta stay vigilant. Like I have to, like Jordan Peele, you're like, yeah, you gotta stay vigilant. And then it, I think it shapes also the work you do and the way that you respond. I feel sometimes, you know, like it's not just, I think you can. Well, I yeah, I mean, I think- back. And my, sometimes my, I think it forces you to be more black. Well, my thing is like, there are many ways to be pro-black. You are like pro-black if you are actually like pro-black. Like if you are doing things for black people and there's more than one way to show up for, for so for some people it's marching and on one of them, and this is like part of that conversation, um, but like one of them was like, well, I think black love is the most important thing. And it's like, black love is not just romantic love. Exactly. Leaving, like and and yes i married a white woman like from amsterdam so she's got a whole other like she doesn't even she has like an outsider perspective to hear just like what the heck what is going like this is a mess not that they don't have a yeah. mess back there too but like but it's a different mess <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but like but that being said like i remember just sort of like yeah you know for me it is super important to me also like i have so i have a black mom too like even though my mom is white both my parents remarried i have a black mom um and I like black women like are very important to me. Like because I married a white woman does not mean that I don't love black women, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it also depends. I think it's always active. It always mm-hmm. has to be an active thing because it's not just like, you know, it's like the attorney general of uh is it Kentucky? Yeah. He 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 He's skin folk, but he ain't skin folk. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because when you're actively denying the thing that is the most obvious, you know, you are a black person, but Mm -hmm. you will not show up for black people. Right. That is an ant. That is an active suppressant. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I look at those people and I'm like, aren't you tired though? Yeah. Aren't you tired? And I think sometimes, um, in changing, sometimes in changing minds and changing hearts, you know what I mean? Like there, there's something about um, some interracial relationships where it is become, it, you have to become empathetic to your partner and mm. their situation. So it is on a low level, on the subconscious level, like I am changing this person, this person's family and da, 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 in the ways that I show up and we show up for each other in that sort of way. And it, it is making love an active way of combating anti-blackness and racism. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. in, in, in that biblical sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think you can be pro-Black and be in an interracial relationship. Yeah, and just like you can be anti, you can be Black and be in like a relationship with a Black person and be anti-Black. Like you can yes. be- Yes, like, you can be uppity. Yeah, like- <laughs> Changing that proximity <laughs> to whiteness. You know? like there's been a, I'm in some of these Facebook groups, some of these blurred Facebook groups and people are driving me crazy right now. Um, so there's the game, uh, is it The Last of Us? and Among Us? Among Us. And uh, game. <laughs> so Mahershala Ali apparently was considered for one of the roles, who in the game was a, a white dude in the game. Um, and I guess Pedro Pascal is going to play him now, but it first oh. went to Mahershala. But there's That's all these- the Last of Us. Never mind. Last Not of Among Us. us. Yes, yes. Among Us is the is the- phone game that everyone is trying to find the imposter and that's the thing i've been interested in well you know I'm, i'll check it out too it's um, great. but there were people on there who were like and this is a blurred group so black folks who are like you know no like i'm all for diversity but like we don't need like like no he's the wrong choice like this is a fictional character doesn't have anything to do with anything. The gamer Whose side are you on? Is such <laughs> trash. Like gamer communities, especially in their type of racism, they're like, well, that character isn't black. Well, they weren't white either. They were right. Japanese. So you, if I can't do it, you can't do it either, darling. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things where because we have so for so long just looked at protagonists as white, yeah. and white being good, that it is that we're we're losing 
you know, the actual representation that needs to be had, you know what I mean? Which is also to, he's, you know, heroes always have like gray areas, but um, to Stan Lee's credit, it was like, I'm trying to create worlds where, you know, I'm not gonna recast, like Spider-Man will have multi-universes. So then you Mm -hmm. get a Miles Morales, do you know what I mean? Who has his own story, even though some, some, Latinx guy was like, he's not Latin. I was like, so we're just discounting his whole mom. Right. <laughs> like he's only black. What? So we're yeah. discounting the fact that they speak Spanish. We just just know. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's a whole other can of like because as far as like color conscious casting casting where the line is, because I'm not even gonna get into which like a friend of mine and a theater company they're dealing with, but yeah, like when basically it's like a black Latinx character to, and, and it depends, I understand, but it's like at a certain point, I don't want to just play a guy who identifies black um, but has a white set of parents and a black set of parents who was born in Seattle and has lived in New York for like, I don't want to just play myself as an actor either. Like I understand right. like not everything, but it's like, if it's a person of color and if it's a black person anywhere in the world, like I don't have a problem with like, I'm a, I love Daniel Kaluuya. Like I, I know he's going to kill it as Fred Hampton. I'm not like, I understand he's, British but like I also understand like he's a good ass actor like he also he doesn't have the same experience as as me like but I think like he's like done the work as an actor to like like that's the thing I love about acting is like it's an opportunity that's the thing I love about theater and right. I'm, I mean, I'm counting filmmaking and theater here too. The act, the theatrical arts of storytelling, mm-hmm. of being able to, as an actor, put yourself into other experiences that are like close to you, right? Different. It's like that's the whole thing to kind of understand the range of humanity and experience, and and then be able to share that with other people, so that, yeah, like he's a good actor. I hope he does a good enough job that some white people who might, may not have got it up to this point, may still not get it right now. Maybe we'll see that movie, that narrative, that work of art and hit them in a different way. And like, they'll be able to relate to it actually. Like that's the point, you know? And I, and I think that's also important in, in the way that we're telling stories. Do you know what I mean? Um, because like Malcolm and Marie, I hear mixed things. I haven't seen it. I hear mixed things. I haven't and, seen that one yet either. And I and then you know you hear that it, it it wasn't directed by a person of color. So then that makes me think of okay, how much of it is going to be one note of you know whatever whatever of this tumultuous relationship. Whereas you know you get your comeuppance from like Black Panther or or 
even get out you know what mm-hmm. I mean because you're like I see it and I know it and I'm here yeah and and there's a different way of telling of storytelling when it's at when it's in a person of color's hands or a black person's hands being able to craft the story in its nuances and open itself up than it is when it is in a white person's hands do you know what I mean and I'm always curious about that navigation um because you know we get we get a little bit more from from Michaela Cole with um, I May Destroy You because of the nuances of that experience and allowing Mm -hmm. that exploration. So I'm always curious as to like, who's telling the story or who's even sympathetic because it's like, even if it's an Asian director or, you know, what is their proximity to the story that, what are the parts of their experience that can be infused into this story that takes it out of the white gaze that also allows almost almost is like here we are inviting you to look at this part (laughs) yeah like uh i would love and i still have not seen the movie and i will see the movie at some point for free because i'm so curious about it i've read so much about it and i haven't seen it because (laughs) the movie i'm talking about um is hmm it's a movie that needs to be, it's a story that needs to be done again properly. Um, the movie I'm talking about is about Nina Simone, which was directed by a white woman. Yes. And, and she casts Zoe Saldana. And the thing about Zoe Saldana is she is a Latinx person. Yeah. With some, like, she's also part Afro Latin, like, she's Afro Latinx. She's Afro Latinx, but. but- but she actively kind of denies that part or denies like the black. Or I think she's before. Before, yeah. Before and, Nina Simone, she did. And we were like, how are you going to, what? Yeah, because Nina the pro- Simone sings about blackness. Because mm-hmm. the, yeah, exactly. And the problem is one, and I'm, you know, I'm light skinned and I'm very much somebody who's like, you know, I'm black too. But I, but like also, understanding like that there are times for me to make that case but also like that that's that I I have these conversations though and I very much am rooted in my blackness and having conversations about that right so that if I were to take a a questionable role like because I could also say on the flip side you have Denzel playing Malcolm X but of course the thing with Malcolm X it's like his skin color doesn't matter to the story. No. Now I will bring that up when we get divisive in our own community and try to limit what is and isn't black. Cause then it's like, okay, if you're saying a light skinned person with blue eyes isn't black, like if you're saying that's the line, then you have to, then you have to cut Malcolm X out of your, by that argument, which is right. ridiculous. And but, I don't, I don't think it's even that. I think it's even with Zoe Saldana. As soon as they tried to make you darker, friend, <laughs> that should have been the, the moment where you were like, okay, like, because well, like, you could just go out and get someone who's dark skin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as like, I love Viola Davis and I loved Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. You know what I mean? I loved it. Watched it with my family, but it was also one of those moments where I was like, did you wear in a fat suit? <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know what I mean to the things where it is this is this is the character 
there is no escaping Nina Simone's dark skin because she's about to sing about it. She's going to talk about it. That's all. (laughs) And my, yeah, my question with that, the thing I'd ask is like, who is in the room with you? Because if I were in the room, (laughs) and like, who is in the room with you? And why weren't you listening? Yeah, but also, did you give those people room to speak. I think right. what the pandemic is allowing us and the reckoning that's happening is that people are finding their voice to be able to speak, you know, like before we'd be like, well, I mean, I got a job and I'll just keep it going and keep it pushing. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, I don't think this is, and like also navigating how to be like, I don't want to lose my job, but also this is not right. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you navigate that that thing and I think that's what's happening in this reckoning is people are being like okay everybody this is the accountability tour these are the wrongs that we've all done how do you make amends and how do you change Mm -hmm. that and how do we move forward and who how are we giving people more seats at the table because don't talk about sometimes pulling yourself up by your bootstraps when some people didn't have no shoes right and also that whole thing's a lie like nobody gets anywhere by themselves. Like that's just a fact. Like anybody yeah. who says they did are ungrateful for like the opportunities that they've been getting. It doesn't mean that you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that you didn't earn it. It's just, you work hard, you prepare yourself for opportunities, but ultimately opportunities are some other people like you being invited in, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like it's, like somebody gave you money, somebody decided to pay you, like they didn't have to pay, like whatever, however you want to look at it, somebody helped you along the way. Like, exactly. and if you don't think that's true, like, I don't want to, I don't really want to work with you. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that tells me that it's, you think it's all about you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like be and- proud of who you are, but. Yeah, but then it's like, we're not all centered around you. We're not all here to help you get to the next spot. You know, it's that it's that center of the universe and centering yourself in the middle of things as opposed to recognizing and appreciating the folks that are around you. And that, if like, <laughs> there's novels that are going to be written, <laughs> but our most recent occupant of the White House, like if I were to say something like a major critique about leadership and the lack thereof mm-hmm. it's that it's like you like really thought like it was all about you like you couldn't admit making mistakes or like that maybe there's something more to learn you know or that other people but Hillary you're working told with, us that yeah but she totally told us like she mm-hmm. was like he argued about not getting an emmy for his tea and i was like yeah 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 <laughs> it's that guy <laughs> yeah that's crazy yeah and then just the slow like some of the people who were like i didn't realize that that was what was gonna happen <laughs> i was like okay all right then <laughs> you know but also it this has also shown us how many people have want to have certain proximity to to wealth and to to things and they and how and to authoritarian how, power and how yeah. deep their um 
their morals are, or because they're not at all, they're non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like a lot of the Republicans who were against him for so long. And it's like, like I think of Ted Cruz and I'm like, that man insulted you so many different times. And now and your you're family, here, your family. And your family. And now you're out here looking like one of his sons. You look like Eric. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, before I forget, where's mm -hmm. the best place for people to find you and follow you and keep up with what you're up to and the projects and the work? Oh my God. Where's the best place? You know, what's really weird. I'm not even a person who keeps up with me. I need an assistant <laughs> who can, who could do all of those things. But, uh, uh, I'm on Instagram as N Aguna, A-G-W-U-N-A. -A. Um, and uh, my website is njaguna.com. So those places, yeah, those are the best, the best places to kind of see what I have done. Mm. Not even really what I'm gonna do. I think that's the, the thing that I need to actually probably start moving towards updating. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to keep that in mind. Also with like resumes, like how can we make, so one of the teachers I was talking about, the studio that I'm involved with that actually does a really good job of Zoom facilitations mm -hmm. is Jen Waldman Studios. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to you cause you should just join that community. Um, they, they want more uh, kinfolk in there. Um, so there's opportunities to get in there and it's just a solid group of people um, that are like active, having important conversations and making and doing work like artistic work. And um, But one thing she talks about is a lot of times resumes are sunk costs on paper. And so it's like as an actor or anything really, you go in with the resume but it just says what you've done before, not what you can and will do. And right. so it's a weird, she's almost like she wants to get rid of resumes. Like if she shouldn't, like that probably won't happen, but it's like, she'd like to just, here's my picture. And then just like a blank thing, here's my contact. And I'm kind of with that, but kind of, we do need resumes. So how can I make it as forward thinking? How can I have it more mission oriented uh, you know kareem fahim has like an interesting format where i kind of stole it from my resume where it's like i got my picture and then i also have every hyphenate artist i am yeah you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then like you know like it just thinking about it as we thought about resumes in like high school i don't know if you got resume training we had this like job preparedness thing because i went to school in columbia maryland which is the planned city the city that is kind of like epcot hmm. <laughs> um a lot of uh rich immigrants live there <laughs> so it was a pretty interesting place um but uh just having that line almost that like almost a bio line but it is an objectives line and adding that to your acting resume would be great you know what i mean just like underneath your hyphenate artist like next to your contact this is like one line one line that sums up what i'm trying to do i'm trying to uh 
promote lack joy or I'm, I'm looking at uh, healing trauma through theater so that they don't have to look at your bio on your website that it's yeah that you got your little one line your your one line pitch of like this is who I am as a person take it or leave it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and I think there there are ways you just have to look at objectives on your resume the same way like hedge fund boys do because <laughs> they all have their objectives on their resumes and then their experience and sometimes like going into experience for directors is like really telling about like this is what I've done on this project right (laughs) and like getting into that and that's a different way of formatting a resume that is more telling as to who you are Mm -hmm. I have eight resumes because every time I and this is something that every artist should learn and like hone is that based on the job you're going in for you need to like reorganize your resume nobody cares when you did the Shakespeare but if you're going in for Shakespeare I want to see all all of your Shakespearean things at the top I don't want to have to search for it because that means I'm like okay I know you can do the job great awesome and I think it's also about the way that we format auditions Mm -hmm. what I tell my students and I always have an audition workshop with uh, my acting students where (laughs) Uh, we do fake, we do fake projects and I'll be like, all right, this team, figure out what you're going to be directing. Who's your casting director? Who's your director? Who's doing whatever, whatever. And then they all have to formulate their auditions. And then everyone has to have the challenges. You get to choose one monologue, but how do you make that monologue work for two auditions? Uh-huh. So like, huh. um, my students did, uh, Shrek, um, one did, um, a crucible and then we did um what was the last one um she kills monsters and so like each team had those and they were like okay what are we looking for what are the roles do we have to have a dance section what are they singing you know what i mean and you had to make it work for everyone so how do you retailer your resume and things like that and in that lesson they they were like yeah no i was like hoping to find this person I didn't really find that person (laughs) you know or Mm -hmm. I did find that person and you start to realize that it's not personal that people are constantly rooting for you because they are also looking for the person they're like I hope you are that person that I'm looking for to put in this role you know and so that it takes off all of the like gosh, I hope I get it, you know, <laughs> like, because it's like, you are, you either fit or you don't fit. Yeah. And I think the earlier you learn that lesson and you go through the experience of being on the creative side and on the, um, and on the other side, you know, on both sides of the table, the more that you start to really hone in on that and like notice it and then also readjust and replan and, you know, also know that it's not just like, they're not just like four jobs in the industry. Right. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So the, I, I always find it like, you know, you start to, once you start thinking outside of the box, you can start really moving towards what you want. Yeah. And also like, yeah, a part of the job is that I'll audition like 85 times and like one of them will stick and that'll, that's the one I'll get. But I just, I have to show up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm also finding... Yeah, pursuing the playwriting and going down that route also, it's, and acting has been going, like, all right, like, during the pandemic, too, Um, but, like, it's also understanding, like, with some of the things I've been going for, it's, 
whether this thing lands or not, it's opportunities to like share your work. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it might not fit this time, but if you believe, like if it's your project, then you're going to make that project happen no matter what. And, and also like most recently, I was like focused on this one thing. And as I was working on that project, like submitting to like that, there were like two other things that popped up that was like, oh, I can submit for this as well. And oh, because I just applied for this thing. Now I have a playwriting resume, which I didn't before. I was trying to have like an all in one. I was being lazy. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, how can I have an all in one? And it's like that it doesn't work like that. And so yeah. this one of them was like, yeah, you need a playwriting resume. We had like very much strongly recommend you, you know, follow that. And here's a template you can use. So it's like, okay, bet. And so then when I did that, it's like for the next thing, it's like I have it because like I'm more prepared for each thing by going forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then understanding. Because you can have a CV with all yeah. of your stuff, but just know that CVs are really just academic. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about today? Uh, no, not really. I mean, your producer did ask me about a superpower. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that. Was that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you, like, what, what do you think your superpower is? Uh, I would say materialization. You know? Not only just imagining or dreaming up things, but making them come Real. to life. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, and do you have any final parting thoughts to I mean, anybody you want, really? I mean, everyone keep taking care of yourselves and showing up for your neighbors, you know, wishing you all a fierce immune system and calm hearts or vice versa, whatever it is you need. Cool. Uh, well, thank you for sitting down and talking with me. It's good to, good to see you. Good to um, see you too. <laughs> I'm always excited when I see your name pop up on things, um, rooting for you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so that was my conversation with NJ Aguna. A uh, quick thought on her superpower. She said it was materialization. So she touched on it a little bit. She said not only being able to see it, not only being able to visualize it, but actually making it a reality. And uh, one point on that is that you do have to see it in order to, to be it, to materialize it. Um, you can't make nothing from nothing. So sometimes the something can be the vision in your mind. And the more you get clear about it, the more you can make it a reality. So my question to you is what is your vision and what can you do to make that a reality? I'd love to see that in the world. Um, I hope that this podcast can help you materialize your vision, help inspire you, um, and help keep you focused and believing that it's possible because it is. Um, it's just a matter of energy and time. That's uh, the equation and focus. 
Um, that's those are part of the equation, you know, trying to trying to figure out the equation exactly together. But what's fun about the equation is that it's not going to be the same for everybody, um, but you can learn from everybody. But you have a unique vision, so I'd love to see that in the world. Uh, I loved having NJ on this podcast today. Um, if you enjoyed that podcast, um, please uh, check out, follow her. Her links will be in the show notes. Follow her on Instagram. Um, yeah, check her out. But like I said, you'll see her pop up in things. She is prolific. Um, if you enjoy this podcast and want to get more involved, you should sign up for the A3 newsletter, which um, the link will be in the show notes as well. And if you want to super support the podcast, uh, please subscribe and join our Patreon. Um, as you heard, my computer is dying, which is making producing this podcast as well as everything else uh, a little bit difficult. Um, so yeah, if you want to support that, you know, you know, follow me on social, uh, join the Patreon team, whatever. I'm going to get a new computer one way or another. It's time. Um, and then producing will be more fun and more smooth. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm grateful to, to talk to you, grateful to have the platform and to be in this time where we can talk to each other. So thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. I appreciate your ears and ideas and your vision. Um, even if I don't know it yet, I'm here rooting for you too. So keep going and I will talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.